CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier with Donna G. I'm Donna G. If you've been listening to the show for the past few weeks since I've moved to this time slot of Sunday afternoons from 1 to 2, then you know that I've been covering the Toronto International Film Festival. If you are new, today's show will be a wrap of the festival where I will be discussing my favorites along with the following guests. Heidi M. blogs about Toronto arts and culture, and you can find her fresh perspectives on film, literature, music, and theatre at highmusings.ca. That's H-Y-E-M-U-S-I-N-G-S dot C-A. I'll also be joined by two CIUTers. Mark Tara is the host of Rainbow Country, which airs Tuesday night, 11 p.m. and goes till 1 a.m. It's been airing on CIUT since 2016, and in 2019, his show became the number one LGBT podcast on Podomatic. And as of 2020, he is now in syndication. You can find him at marktara.com, M-A-R-K-T-A-R-A dot com. I'll also be joined by Daniel Garber, who is a Toronto film critic, and you can hear him on Daniel Garber at the Movies on CIUT Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. or online at culturalmining.com. In this upcoming show, we will all be discussing um, and commenting on this year's TIFF from our perspective as community media, some of the challenges that we face this year, but also we will be talking about our favorites and we'll be narrowing down those five that made an impact on us that are our favorite. So stay with me, stay with us as we talk about the Toronto International Film Festival and tie a bow on it for 2021. Welcome everyone. Hi everyone. Hi Donna. Hi Donna. Last year, 2020, was the first ever virtual TIFF, and Mark and Daniel and I did some special broadcasts together. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us for TIFF 21, and I'm actually going to start with you, Heidi. What are your feelings about this hybrid festival that we had this year of virtual and in-person? Thanks for having me back. I will say that um, it was very interesting. I wasn't... um, sure how the format would be, I guess, uh, laid out. So as somebody who has, um, like yourselves, uh, accreditation as media, I did have challenges in the beginning, um, sort of deciding um, what to see in terms of uh, in person. I had my short list thanks to Tiffer. And um, I realized that once I logged into the TIFF website, I, I had some technical glitches and and I ended up sort of switching my films around, if you will. So for the Heidi, I'm just going to interrupt for the listening audience. Uh, you mentioned Tiffer as well as TIFF, and people might be confused. Oh, my apologies. So TIFF is the actual festival. That's the website TIFF.net, and Tiffer is uh, Tiffer.com, and it is an external uh, or an, another website that a lot of us use, where they also list 
TIFF films and you can favorite them by adding like little likes or hearts. And it allows you to also create your own personal schedule. So you have a short list that you can work off of. So it sort of saves you having to create your own Excel sheet, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Now continue with uh, getting your movies. Right. So I was saying that um, I was a little bit confused at first. Uh, I wasn't sure that we had to pick tickets to see even present industry screenings in person uh, versus digital, uh, the digital platform. So I was a little bit, I guess, I lagged behind a few people in getting sorted out in the beginning, but it worked out well at the end. Mark, were you able to get your films? Did you have any difficulties at all with the press screenings? I will say I preferred the totally digital uh, angle when it mm -hmm. came to the pandemic version of TIFF because last year we basically all watched everything at home. Mm -hmm. This year we had the 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 opportunity to go there in person uh, to watch 12 films of our choosing. My mistake was I was a day late in picking those films and I could not get the films that I wanted to see in person. And so that sort of threw a wrench into my, my TIFF experience at the get-go. Watching it at home on the TIFF uh, digital platform was great. I love that experience. But in terms of being able to pick uh, my 12 films that I can go see in person, I was not able to do that. Daniel, just... what about what was your experience? I also had a lot of trouble trying to connect to get the films. I didn't use Tiffer. I didn't use anything. I was just sort of winging it and by trial and error. But for some reason, and this is on the second day toward the end, I started choosing movies. And I'm not sure why. Maybe it's luck of the draw, but I got... Oh, I, I should say I made a list of movies that are only playing in person, not in the digital version. So I figured those are the ones I would try to get the tickets to and the rest I would watch at home on my digital. Uh, and I managed to land some big ones like the public screening of Dune, the world premiere at the Cinesphere, things like that. I don't know why, but they just started popping up and working. But I, I okay. did choose a bunch at random that, yeah. some, that I somehow got i don't know why well i'm daniel and i were in this the same shoes in terms of the fact that um you know we are all three community um people in terms of media we're community media myself uh well daniel you're campus and community and mark as well and heidi's community uh as a blogger and we have day jobs so we don't have a producer saying, OK, I'm going to get your tickets. What do you want? Um, let me sign in on your behalf or get you organized um, to meet this short uh, window of time in which to pick your films. And I had other people calling me saying, you know, how did you how do you get your press tickets? Because I'm in and I'm, I can't get mine and I can't get through on the line. And I found it very frustrating this year that that wasn't said up front, that you're going to be given a window of time to choose all your films in advance. I anticipated what had been done previously where you could, you know, look at the day and choose the films that you wanted to see. Did anybody else think that was going to be the same? They had said in an email that we would be given uh, basically 24 hours, uh, 24 to 48 hours to choose our 12 films to see in person. Okay. 
I must have missed that along with all the other emails, emails yeah. that I was that I was getting. Um, and it also wasn't clear in their in their subject headings as to what the content of the email might have been about. Correct. So I think that would have have tweaked my interest and my priority in terms of getting the films that I wanted. And also because I was wrapping up work to take my vacation for TIFF and, you know, my day job pays me. So that has to be my priority. Heidi, um, your sense of this, uh, the way they ticketed this year? Um, yeah, I would second the email uh, notifications. I I read the email, but I believe that I was inundated with so much information that I didn't realize we had a time window and I didn't know we had to pick all of the 12 films all at once. I thought I would pick maybe three, five, six, whatever. And then I could go back and add to the list later. So I feel that if there had been, I guess, like a subject heading that would, you know, alert us um, to that email about rules in terms of ticketing, it would have been more helpful because I agree. We we have a lot of other things going on in our inboxes um, as well as our day jobs. So I just found it more confusing than it needed to be. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and have, go ahead, Daniel. Uh, I was just going to say I was having a great. I'm not a I'm not a technophobe, but I'm not an expert either when anything's to do with the computer. So I was calling in to the office, and this is one of the things where they put you on hold and they say there are seven people. <laughs> waiting ahead of you so it goes on and went all the way down to the bottom and then it gets there and it goes me oh like, no turns off after like an hour waiting so i was like oh. furious i tried again didn't work but then there's a little pop-up that appears on your screen would you like to talk and they have like live people answering questions but it took a while but i typed something in went away and about an hour later there were they answered all my questions and gave me the right instructions on how to actually do it in a, mm. in this little tiny pop-up that appeared on my screen. <laughs> so that was how I was able to do it. They gave me the advice I needed. And interestingly enough, at the very end, I didn't know what to press because I don't carry a cell phone. So I was, I was saying, how am I get the tickets? How am I going to show the tickets? I just press pick up. And it turned out I had actual paper tickets which I used to get into the theaters. And the, on the first day when I went there, they they were going, what is that? And they're all the all the ushers and volunteers. Were around, and one guy goes, I hear those are made from trees. So, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny. Well, my tiff was all, all virtual. So Daniel, you mentioned you got in-paper tickets. So you went to in-person screenings. Heidi, did you manage to get any in-person screenings? Oh, yeah, I I did more than I actually thought I was going to see, to be honest with you. So I would say my experience was about 50-50. Okay. And uh, Mark, I know you and I had difficulty, but did you manage to go to any in-person screenings? No. Yeah. I I sat my ass at home. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Mark, you told me, Mark, I always rely on you for party information. And you told me you were going to actually go to a party. Did you? Yes and no. It was, what does that mean, Mark? Well, I think we all got the uh, an invite to cover and attend an event called the Big Splash. Mm-hmm. Yes, which was yes. the the Joshua Jackson, uh, basically uh, his, his event yes. for his new company. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't end up going. Uh, I was supposed to do an interview with him on the next day, which would 
have been the Tuesday, mm -hmm. but they canceled because he had an emergency. So, uh, no, I did not go, but I saw on TV that apparently there was like an hour line uh, oh, wow. to, to get into the event because people needed to check their, you know, if they've been vaccinated, all that sort of stuff. So, Daniel, did you make it out to any parties? I did go to that party, that exact party, the Liquid Media Group uh, Big Splash Party. It was at the Windsor Arms Hotel. I went with a friend who's also accredited. There was a long, long lineup. They looked at our proof of vaccination and we, went, we walked right in. Once inside, it was like the old days. It was really like... The old days. <laughs> well, no, like pre-COVID where... There were waiters walking around with, you know, sushi and samosas and all that stuff, an open bar, a DJ, all these people. There were women in like evening gowns, men's and black. I was wearing shorts and uh, a shirt, <laughs> a sweater, but because I was pressed. But uh, it was mainly I think it was mainly corporate or uh, industry and a few celebrities. Well, the Joshua Jackson himself was throwing the party. And a few other semi-recognizable people, and some walking around with cameras. But it literally felt like a Black Mirror episode. You're saying, "Is this real? Could this be happening?" Because I haven't been in a place with that many people in a room, mm -hmm. drinking alcohol, listening to music, eating food that comes fast on trays. I haven't done that in. Well, basically two years. I think we're all in, in the same boat. So kudos to you, Daniel, for uh, for getting out and, and, and socializing um, in this new age of, of COVID. Um, but let's um, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about our TIFF favorites. The way she moves through gridlock streets Like an angel's grace has kissed her feet Like a bird that's broken free The way she moves, she moves me The way she moves, she moves me She moves and flips her hair Like a silent dancer in the midnight square The song she's hearing sets her free The way she moves, she moves me The way she moves, she moves me She's the girl with faraway eyes She's like Dorsey's clear blue skies She's somewhere Stops spinning around Hold my breath 
Listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G, my guest Heidi M, Mark Tara, and Daniel Garber. And we're discussing TIFF 21. And now we're getting into our favorites, our top five favorites of the films that we have seen. Mark, what's your number five? It would be Jagged, Alanis Morissette's uh, autobiography. There's some controversy about this. Mm -hmm. Do tell. Are you asking me? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the con, I've, I, I'm not the only one here that's seen the film. I thought the film was really well made. The 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 director lived with her for I think at least two weeks during uh, the lockdown in California, and now Alanis Morissette is saying that she does not approve of the film. I don't know what she disapproves of. Maybe it's because maybe her male band members were uh, potentially having sex with some of the young audience female members during that concert in the 90s i don't know i, I have to ask you'd have be... to ask alanis morissette but she's go not ahead. saying anything more about it go ahead daniel no i was just saying i think it may be the one that got all the headlines she was talking about how when she was starting out in the music business she at the age had of 15. sex but yeah she was 15 and so and what is the status of that? And was it voluntary or not? And I don't think she liked the way her interview came out sounding. Okay. Yeah. From what I've read, it was um, the, the whole issue of women in the music industry and being preyed upon as a 15 year old girl. And um, that's a gray area in, in Canada because the age of consent um, at the time was 14. But I think what can be inferred is that the people who she had sex with were much older 
which um, would have been a consideration if um, if she had spoken up at the time. Um, but it's a very interesting thing where you have um, a personal, you know, celebrity documentary and whose film is it? Is it, is it the director's? Is it the subject? Um, that's an interesting um, area there. Um, but I'm how- sure, uh, I just want to make this one point. Did she, uh, it'd be interesting to know if she had any sort of input into the final cut of the film. I'm sure she didn't. Yeah, I think um, she agreed to do the film. And I think what happened is she saw the the rough cut and she didn't she didn't like how it was edited or, and what was in, what was left. But beyond that, um, which is a much larger story, how is the documentary itself? I know, Mark, it's 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 your number five. So there was something about it that it's, you appreciated. It's, well it's it's a great film. I highly recommend it. OK, that's yeah, good. It's well done. Daniel, your thoughts on the film? Oh, it wasn't. I, I saw about 33, 34 movies, but it was in the didn't like category. Okay. It didn't oh. really do anything for me. What's number five on your list? Uh, well, another documentary I saw I really liked, and that was Attica. And it was made on the 50th anniversary uh, of the uprising in the New York State Prison in Attica, New York where many people ended up dying, but, uh, and the media and the police at the time, uh, actually the National Guard were killed in and killed many people, including uh, a group of the guards in the prison who were being held as hostages. Uh, it was originally reported that they were killed by the rioting prisoners. When it turns out, they were all killed by the snipers of the police or the National Guard. So it's a very shocking, uh, powerful movie where they showed uh, footage from the time period, but also interviews with both the prisoners and the guards who were there and a few other people who were involved in the thing. I found it very powerful, very moving. Heidi, what's number five on your list? I'm just going to second Attica before I do my number five. So definitely catch it if you can. Okay. Um, Number five on my list is uh, the film called Snakehead. And um, is, uh, I think it's the maybe the filmmaker's first film. The name is Evan Jackson Leong, and it's a fact-based debut feature, as it's described on the website. And it's about a woman who just rises through the gangs in, in, in New York City. I found it quite well done, cinematography um, speaking, and, and the casting was good. Yeah, it was on my list to see. Unfortunately, I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, my number five is a film called Salum. And mm-hmm. it is an, oh. it was an African film in uh, Midnight Madness, Senegalese. I had the pleasure of interviewing the director, Jean-Luc Herboulot, about... Herboulot. Ebuloli about his I, I uh, as well, yeah. Yeah, right. about his uh southern as he called it. Uh <laughs> North America has a western. Uh I guess Senegal has uh the southern. Um mm-hmm. about a group of mercenaries, African mercenaries who their plate they have plane trouble and they end up landing in a specific area. And there is some uh, political undertones and supernatural undertones and uh it's a very eerie film and it's a slow build. And I love the way it was shot. I love the subject matter. And um, I want to see more from this director. So that film is Saloon. And uh, yes. I just want to add my 
uh, agree with you. That was a great movie. Okay, moving on to number four. Take it away, Daniel. What's fourth for you? Uh, number four, Petite Maman. That was uh, a short film. It was only 70 minutes long, which is a nice thing. A nice thing. And it was made by Céline Schiama. And some people refer to it as Schiama Light because it's not the heavy, powerful of most of her movies. It's a very gentle, easy film. But it's about a little girl who, with her mom, is visiting the nursing home where her grandmother had just died. She was sort of saying goodbye to her. And they were staying in her mom's childhood home. And uh, the mother is so upset by it all that she leaves. But when the daughter goes to explore, it's a little girl, like six or seven years old. She goes to explore in the woods. Her mom told her she built a fort there. And she found another little girl playing there. And when she followed her home, it was a home identical to her own, with except somehow more glowing and bright. And what it basically is about, petite maman, is her own mother coming back as a kid her age. So it's sort of this time warpy, very gentle story about the two meeting each other and uh, how it helped the daughter who's angry at her mom understand her. And when she eventually talks to her mother, how the mother can understand the daughter. It's, it's just a very, very sweet, not science fiction, but a very, very sweet movie. And the mother and daughter as the two kids are played by actual sisters. So they look very, very similar. Aww. That sounds nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Heidi, I hear you murmuring there about <laughs> Petite Maman. What's your I, number four? Um, my number four, I had difficulties narrowing down my film list, but I picked a Zalava as my ah, number four. I saw that film. too. I saw that too. Yeah. So I, I like, it was part of the Midnight Madness program and it's sort of, um, deals with demonic possessions in a very small village where this military officer is very skeptical and, you know, goes in and tries to, I guess, calm the, the community down. But I, I like seeing sort of these sort of supernatural stories from other uh, points of views like the, that are the non for that are non-white filmmakers, I, mm-hmm. I want to say. So it's also not very it's not creepy. You're not going to have a lot of jumps, but it just builds up quite nicely. And I really enjoyed the way it looked on the big screen. That one I did see with a crowd. Or oh, I wish a I could have. Crowd. Yeah. A small crowd. Yeah. I, Midnight Man, I wish I could have seen Salum with a crowd. I wish I could have seen Zalava with a crowd as, as you did. And yeah, I recommend that film as well. Mark, what's your number four? My number four, I love me a good documentary, first and Mm. foremost. And the documentary, Dionne Warwick, Don't Make Me Over. (laughs) Well done. I am a fan. Love her and her music. And during the press conference, they took my question. What was your question? (laughs) It was it was a long question, like a lot of setup. But oh, no, Mark, you didn't do that. You didn't fall into the Q&A trap with the long question. No, you had you had to write it in. Right. Okay. And, then, and then they they asked it. All right. And okay. it was basically what did she have to say to her her LGBT fans in Canada? Oh. Yay. Yeah. Good question. And what, what was her say? answer? She mumbles some something that's very hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> but she loves you. 
Well, I don't know about that, but but the the film is really good. And she was really active when it came to uh, politics back in the day. Yes, I enjoyed the film, too, because there were revelations for me about Dionne Warwick, Mm -hmm. um, things I didn't know. Um, For example, you know, seeing her white face on a record album in uh, Germany (laughs) and Europe. That was like just just a white woman. That was just a white woman with Dionne Warwick under under the yes on the on the album (laughs) um, saying this is Dionne Warwick. And meanwhile, she comes out on stage and. Hey, I don't look like this picture, but yes. it's me. <laughs> yes, I there were things in that film that I liked. I especially I was I was very curious as to why Snoop Dogg was there initially, but I'm not going to give the reason why, but if But you find out why. You find out why <laughs> and if that hooks you, if Snoop Dogg hooks you into seeing the deal on Warwick film with your mom or your auntie, go for it. It's definitely <laughs> worth the payoff. So um, my number four film is Silent Land. And this is a film, I interviewed the director, uh, Aga, about this film, about the the seemingly perfect couple couple who are vacationing in a beautiful spot in Italy. They have a problem with the pool in the vacation home that they rented. Somebody's brought in to look after the pool. There is an accident and it's what unfolds after this accident. And it made my number four because this is a film that I went in thinking, I don't like these people. I don't like these people. And usually if I don't like the subject of the film, I stop watching. But I found them so fascinatingly cold that and the cinematography is absolutely beautiful it's stunning that it kept my attention and that's why um, it became my number four so that film is called silent land Um, it's a polish couple so it's a polish language Uh, there's some english and there's some italian as well in the film let's take a break now and then we'll go to our number three after the break Let's go. 
तेरी सूही सूही संग बलिए नी तेरी संग बलिए एक तेरी सूही सूही संग बलिए बंदे तू चारे पासे रंग बलिए नी आगे रंग बलिए बंग नाल बंग चन कादे बलिए बंग नाल बंग चन कादे बलिए ओ बल्ले बल्ले किते चिकनाले बलिए बल्ले बल्ले किते चिकनाले बलिए ओ बल्ले बल्ले The sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm. everyone if you're just tuning in you're listening to the more the merrier with donna g i'm donna g and joining me are mark tara heidi m and daniel garber and we're discussing our favorites at the toronto international film festival and favorites is are the films that touch us not necessarily best picture oscar worthy films although they could be but these are favorites which you cannot argue with because our favorite is our favorite so mark i'm going to throw to you what is number 3 on your favorites list my number 3 is something that people the general public may not be able to see because it was part of um the industry uh screening side of things and it's it's a tv series that's going to be on cbc called sort of and i would highly recommend people tune in when they can when it hits uh cbc uh i probably in october in in the fall of 2021 uh but look for it it's a it's a a comedy it's a dramedy a half hour um and the main character is transgender a person okay. of color it's called sort of sort look, of okay Oh, we'll look for it. And um one of the things, one of the privileges we do have as being part of the press and industry is being able to see some of these market films um that are available to um buyers and sellers and industry insiders. So that's kind of nice to be able to let people know what might be coming up. So sort of is your number 3. Heidi, what's your number 3? I'll be quick. I have a tie. um scarborough which is um a canadian film very much of that neighborhood and is tied with memoria which is a completely different film um and i'll just say that they both have really interesting stories scarborough is dear to my heart because it's very much gta toronto centric and it actually shows people like the people i grew up with in the city so definitely recommend people give it some support That's where I grew up. So shout out to Scarborough. <laughs> and and I just want to say I was trying so hard to catch Memoria 
because I interviewed the director, Apichap Pangwi Rasatakun, a few years ago, a uh, Thai director, but I wasn't able to see it. So I can't wait to watch that. Definitely. Okay. So, Daniel, what's your third? Uh, I'm going to put one. It's not, it didn't move me in the way that most movies move me, but it was Dune, which is opening in a couple months. I think that's the big blockbuster. It was just the whole experience of seeing it in the Cinesphere on a gigantic IMAX screen. Uh, it's about a, uh, it's based on the book by Frank Herbert about a young Duke son, a prince who has special powers. He lands on a planet covered in sand with giant humongous worms that can swallow up whole buildings or people if you make any noise on the surface of the sand. And it stars Timothy uh, Chalamet and it's directed by Denis Villeneuve and the special effects and the design and everything is absolutely fantastic, like brutalist flying saucers and stuff. But in terms of moving, it was like a cold fish. It didn't move me emotionally at all. But I think that's due to the novel that it comes from. So this is more of a spectacle um, in a terms spectacle, of it. But aesthetically as well, aesthetically, it was the way the movie was filmed and the special. It was just really, really, really amazing, spectacular, stunning, beautiful. Okay. It's an interesting just, perspective. Go ahead, Donna uh, G, Mark. If I, yes? just, if I could just jump in on Dean real course. quick. People should know that this is part one. Mm. Very and, much so. And there may or may not be a part two. Mm. I have a feeling there will be, though, because it, it leaves you hanging. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I that's can't wait. But, but that's interesting, though. Uh, Daniel, you said, you said it left you cold. So will there be enough in, in terms of the film itself for people to want a second version, a second part? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, just visually, <laughs> it's just so great. But it didn't move me emotionally. Like I did not a single tear in my eye. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So my number three is nobody has to know. And this is a small film in terms of not grant, no grandiose actions, just a beautiful Scottish setting with beautiful, beautifully lit beaches and interiors. And uh, it's about Phil and Millie and Phil is a migrant worker. Well, I should say he's an immigrant uh, working in Scotland from Belgium. And he is a farmhand and he has um, he develops amnesia shortly after we meet him in the film. So what we know about his life is basically coming through Millie, who sort of uh, um, goes to him and says, um, she's her, his next of kin and, you know, they had a relationship. So we get to know more about Phil through Millie. And we also get to know more about Millie herself. And these are people who are over 50. And as I am over 50 and would and love seeing um, older people on screen, I love this quiet romance quite a bit. And it made my number three. And I can't wait to see it again. The director is Bully Ladders, um, who's also the writer and the star. And Michelle Fairley, uh, who is Millie, who plays Millie, who is from Game of Thrones. I never watched that show, so some of you might be familiar with, with who she is. And the film is Nobody Has to Know, my number three. I wanted to see that film. I just want to say that. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Right. Touched my heart. <laughs> so number down to number two, we've got to move quickly if you want to get to our number one. So number two, um, Mark, what's your number two? 
My number two is a Canadian film, indie film called Wild Hood. It's Yay! Love Yay. it. Love it. Great movie. Queer two spirit uh, film and a little bit of background on it. The director who uh, I know I interviewed and I know Daniel, you interviewed as well. That's right. Uh, when he was, when they were uh, first making this, this feature, they were told maybe not so gay, maybe not so hmm. indigenous. And this is coming back maybe a couple <laughs> oh, years ago. Wow. And that really, that just burns me. The fact that even in modern times we're, and telling our own stories, our own Canadian stories that uh -huh. we're saying, maybe not so indigenous, maybe not so gay, uh, you know, maybe make it more palatable. No. Like, come, on. come on. No. Unreal. It's like, it's like the, the Wildhood album cover. Look for it. Yeah, Dion Warwick's album cover. That's exactly <laughs> it. Right. Make like it more, make it more palatable. And I don't want that. And that's why um, this film, Wildhood, came very close to being on my, you know, on my, on my top five faves because. You know, we've got Mi'kmaq young people on screen speaking their language, learning about their culture. And it's a First Nations film that has a bit it's a you know coming of age, but it also has a bit of hope um, in the film. And that's why I love it. It's also beautifully shot. Yes. Um, it's also beautifully shot. So look out for it. Um, it's called Wild Hood. Wildhood, great one movie. word, great and excellent film, excellent choice, Mark. <laughs> so um, we are down to uh, number our, twos. Our number twos, Heidi, take it away. I'm actually gonna just pass on my number two because it was already mentioned. It was Wildhood as well by Breton Hanam, and shout out to them and everybody in that film. Yeah, I truly felt. I was so full after that film for just different reasons, aesthetic reasons, and just being able to see beautiful um, two-spirit uh, folks on screen. And you know what? I also loved the relationship between the mm -hmm. brothers. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the relationship yeah. between the brothers is just lovely. And um, yeah, okay. So Wildhood makes it on a couple of lists. Okay, <laughs> and uh, Daniel, what's your number two? Well, I think I'm going to bring one up just because uh, I know Mark has problems with it. So this should be a good discussion. Ah. The Power of the Dog, directed <laughs> by Jane Campion. She's this amazing New Zealand director. Uh, and it's a cowboy movie set in the 1920s. And it's about two brother brothers who are cattlemen with cowboys who work for them. Uh, Phil and George, played by Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Piemans, Piemon, Plemons who uh, drive the cattle and they always stay at this hotel to eat, which is run by a widow named Rose, played by Kirsten Dunst, and her sensitive son, Pete, played by Cody Smith McPhee. And the point of the movie is the Western. I wasn't just thinking I was going to see another Western, but it's much more than that. It's Phil is this horrible bully who abuses his brother, who insults and makes fun of Rose, who ends up marrying uh, his brother. And sort of his stepson, Pete, who's this seemingly frail, sensitive kid, but he's a bit more than that. And Pete discovers something about Phil, about Phil's secret, and the whole dynamic of the movie starts to change. So I was uh, very impressed and surprised by it, and I haven't seen anything great from 
Jane Campion in so many years and the acting and the whole thing I, I found uh, very, very good. Mark. Expected nothing. Mark, <laughs> Daniel called you out. So why don't you like it? It's a beautifully made film. It's beautifully acted. It's stunning in, in the way that it looks. And it's based on a book from the 1960s, I believe. Uh, I don't know the book. I don't know Jane Campion. I believe one of her more popular films was The Piano. Right. That's right. She won an Oscar uh, for that. Correct. What my issue with this movie over and above everything that I just said, it's a queer baiting movie in that. I mean, the only people that actually kiss in this film are straight people, the straight couple, the only people that kiss in this film. And yet it's about a, a gay cowboy. And if I could have spoken to the director, I would have asked her, why couldn't you have had, say, flashbacks, even just one flashback in one particular scene with a, mm. a scarf? Why not show us some flashbacks to uh, uh, the main character and maybe his and his boyfriend at the time? Mm. But there was nothing. There was no there was uh, it was alluding to it. And there's a term queer baiting. And this film is a queer bait film. And it just really rubs me the wrong way. Just as in, in Wildhood, the powers that be, the financiers, whoever, producers, were telling Brett Hanam to, you know, maybe not make that so gay. Maybe Jane Campion, maybe the powers that be were telling her not to include things. I don't know. Well, I wish, wait, wait, I wish wait, wait, she would have done that. I just want to say, I, th I think she's a, you know, she's a filmmaker. I think she decided what to do, but there was way more male nudity in this movie than there was female. There was no female nudity. That has nothing to do with homosexuality. I know, it's... but in terms of showing the sexuality of the characters, the gay char the characters who turn out to be gay are shown in very long scenes naked. That has nothing to do with homosexuality. So, Mark, so Mark, Mark, you're saying that you would have wanted to see some intimacy, um, some time the, given to the queer characters in this movie about correct. queer characters. Correct. Like, okay. Because he's not he he's he's portrayed in one dimension as a mean person, but he obviously wasn't mean because he obviously had a loving relationship with another man, and to show that other aspect of him would have flushed him out i thought i think even more hmm. Hmm. interesting hmm. makes me want to see the film now to see to it's, see where i stand a, and yeah. i encourage people to see it and while you're seeing it ask yourself especially when it comes to the the, the scarf scene ask yourself <laughs> why couldn't we have flashbacks in the scene Okay. There were no flashbacks. All right. In the whole movie. Well, I, I've got to I've got to cut it there in terms okay. of our got to get to number one, and our time is um, uh, running out. But my uh, number my number two film is a Danish film called As in Heaven, and for me, it references uh, painters like Wilhelm Hammershoi and Danish directors like. Carl Theodore Dreyer in terms of the themes of superstition and religion. And it concerns a young woman who is from a large Danish family rural setting, who's getting at the beginning of the film, she's packing to go off to school, which her father's not too thrilled about, but her mother is. Her mother is very happy for her. And 
the duration of the film is dealing with her mother's very difficult pregnancy, whether to uh, to go with the mother's vision of her pregnancy or whether to call the doctor. And the film um, is 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 gloriously lit. Um, the landscape is beautiful, and the theme of you know this young woman, um, her identity, and how it will be formed. Um, in the future by circumstances is is very uh, it it's it touches you it makes you think about even today um, how superstition um, can overwhelm certain people um, and they shun um, the medical aspect of things so as in heaven um, is a film by Taya Lindbergh and it's her first feature and she did an amazing job second that oh you saw it too Heidi I saw it I saw that on the big screen oh I'm so jealous yeah Yeah. my my tip was all virtual and I could just imagine how how beautiful that Mm -hmm. was okay number one uh Heidi take it away oh boy it was already mentioned so I don't I'm not gonna dwell too much on it but for me was Saloon the one that you mentioned Saloon was your number one yeah Yeah, it was. I I really enjoyed it. I watched it like in digital format just because I couldn't make that one Midnight Madness. But um, there was so much to enjoy that I actually lost myself just in that story and the way that it was shot that I just wanted to see what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. It was very layered. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Okay, that that's Saloon. And uh, Mark, what's your first? What's your favorite? I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's it's my number one. Okay. And it's a documentary, a gay documentary called Flea. I love oh, Flea. I love yes, it. I've heard very good things about Flea. And I think it got second place in one of the... Mm-hmm. the yes, honorable the mention. Choice. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what did and you it, like about it? Share with the it, audience. It's It's, well, first of all, it's, animated it's mostly animated and it's a documentary about uh a gay man in afghanistan uh and looking to escape with his family and what they go through and where they have to hide to escape eventually and the trauma that he that he suffered um as a kid you know fleeing afghanistan it's and, and it's very apropos to 2021 with what's happening with the U.S. and all that sort of stuff. So look for Flea. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I I will be anyway because I heard great things about it. Yeah, yeah I, I second that as well. I, I've seen it twice, absolutely. You've seen it twice? It was at Sundance. That's why it didn't, it didn't make my top five, but it's, okay. it was definitely my, one of my favorites from Sundance. Okay. Yeah, and uh, Daniel, number one? Oh. I, I'm going to cheat because it's a double header. It's a tie, but I'll <laughs> talk about one very fast. Just T10, because uh, I've already talked about it on my show, but it's a, about a woman with a titanium plate in her head who's a car model who ends up having sex with a Cadillac, like the car, becomes pregnant. And then after mass killing at an orgy, she has to disguise herself as the adult grown-up version of a kidnapped boy and whose father comes to collect her as if she's his grown-up son. Goes from you know there. what? I um, 
I started to watch that and I stopped because I didn't like her and I didn't care where she was going. And it was too violent for me. It wasn't my style of film. Um, and I've heard that, you know, someone fainted at the screening and had to be taken away and that her other film, the same thing happened. So um, she's known for her body horror. Um, yes. What did the, people are calling it? What is it? Uh, she did a Mieki. Oh, Mike. Mike. Takashi. Yes. Yeah. It's quite shocking, but uh, I thought it was brilliant. But my other one, which is a great movie, is Benediction by Terrence Davies, the great uh, director from Liverpool. And it's about it's a biopic about uh, the poet, the World War One poet Siegfried Sassoon and his various lovers as he ages, including uh Ivor Novella, who was one of the biggest uh, celebrities at the time, the songwriter who brought uh, uh, Keep the Home Fires Burning and things like that. And it's uh, what I loved about it is the dialogue is so precise and acerbic. It's like every word that comes from the characters is like this witty gem, but without ever being twee or cutesy. It's just like brilliant. And like all of his movies, it's full of music and images and stuff like that. And even even uh, projections of newsreels from World War One, which the actors sort of walk in front of and act in front of. So it's a little bit interpretive. But uh, what a brilliant, brilliant movie. Amazingly good. Can't say enough good things about it. It's Benediction, directed by Terrence Davies. Okay. Well, my number one is Good Madam, a South African film. Um, and, you know, Mark was uh, talking about the, the fact that, you know, he did he didn't see adequate representation in, in one of the films. Um, and I always think about the phrase, nothing about us without us. But in this case, Jenna Cato uh, Bass or Bass, I'm not sure how she pronounces her last name. Um, is a white director who gets South Africa very well in terms of um, the colonization uh, by whites of black South Africans. And it is a domestic uh, setting with a, a woman who, with her daughter, goes to live with her mother, who is a domestic worker um, who takes care of the home of Madame, who's also known in the film as Diane. Uh, Diane is... Uh, we always see Mavis, the mother, going up to Diane's room with meals and the daughter, Siddy, uh, is always saying, you know, to, to Mavis, um, why can't you use some of her things? She says you're part of the family, but you're not acting like you're part of the family. There are all these rules that you have to follow. And throughout, as the film progresses, um, there's this theme of uh, ownership and, you know, generational trauma. And uh, it, it gradually turns into this sort of horror movie about the subject of uh, colonialism and the impact of Europeans on, on natives. And that's done throughout the whole film. And, you know, when I was talking to programmer um, Natalia Hunter-Young, and, you know, in her notes, she compares this uh, to uh, Usman Semben's Black Girl and Jordan Peele's Get Out. And there are definitely 
elements of that in Good Madam. And that's why it was my absolute favorite film of the festival. Wow, what a combination. Excellent. Yeah. And you can see it. If you've seen those two films, you see it in what um, this director has done. And she's a white director and, you know, she gets it. It's like this is allyship here in terms of what she sees, what she shows in her film. Thank you all so much for joining me and talking about TIFF 21. Um, hopefully next year we'll be able to run into each other uh, in person because that's definitely a part of the festival that I miss, you know, the hustle and bustle around um, King and John Street and seeing each other at the various theaters and talking about what we've seen and, you know, that communion of, of the press. So um, that was definitely missing this year. Yes. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much to all of you. Thank you, thank Daniel. You. Thank, thank you, you, Mark. Thank you, Heidi, for joining thank me you. on this special. Thank you so much for tuning in to The More the Merry with Donna G. That's a wrap for TIFF 2021. I'd like to thank my guests, Daniel Garber, Heidi M., and Mark Tara. You can reach Mark at marktara.com, M-A-R-K-T-A-R-A dot com. Heidi, you can reach at highmusings.ca, H-Y-E-M-U-S-I-N-G-S dot C-A, and Daniel at culturalmining.com. Daniel, Mark, and myself are all CIUTers, www.ciut.fm. Daniel's show is called Daniel Garber at the Movies, a segment on CIUT Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Mark Tara is the host and content creator of Rainbow Country, an LGBT-voiced show. As for me, you can find me, www.ciut.fm, click on the more the merrier, or my socials, at TMTM with Donna G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Music on today's show, we started with Alex Bird, The Way She Move. Then you heard Aja Nachile, Come on, dance. And that's by Michael Dana. And I threw that on because it is from Monsoon Wedding, which was a TIFF premiere. Leaving you now with music by Shakura Saida, whom I worked with at the Toronto International Film Festival many, many moons ago. And this is her track called Me and My Chauffeur Blues. Bye-bye. You're right. 